would be in uh, Luke chapter 2, talking about Simeon. You want to know a dude that was really focused on the, the, the first coming of Jesus, Simeon. So I'm going to read uh, chapter, it's chapter 2, starting in verse, verse 22. And when, it was time to come, when, the, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. So I just think that was... Man, it's a great example of just, he was, he was told by the Holy Spirit that Jesus would come, and he was waiting and ready and listening to the Spirit, and he got to meet Jesus when he first came to the temple. So it's just, I don't know, I encourage you guys in this season to be, I don't know, just the spirit of like gratitude of, of I don't know, that Jesus. He, you know, I tell people like, you know, talk about salvation, whatever. Salvation doesn't come through a method. There's not a system. Salvation comes through a person, Jesus Christ. So we're celebrating him coming to earth. Obviously, we know he was here before the earth was even created, but he didn't come to earth in human form until now. So it's, it's pretty amazing. The other part of Advent is so you're preparing to celebrate Jesus' first coming, but it's also to, to make us more aware of Jesus' second coming as well. And so it, I want to go way over to, to Revelations, the very last chapter, in fact, Revelations 22, starting at verse 6. And he said to me, so this is John writing, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words and the prophecy of this book, for the time is near, that the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still be right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates. 
Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral, murderers and adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. So there's, wow. In this season, Advent season, Christmas season, I really encourage you to have, keep that, the, the real reason for Christmas alive. Our culture today is very much uh, materialistic. Like It blows me away how quick Christmas stuff comes popping out long before Thanksgiving now. And you can tell it's all just bent towards that's how you make a buck. But we as believers, I think it's very important to teach our kids from a very early age that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus and also to look ahead to the second coming of Jesus. So with that, I invite the worship team to come up and uh, invite you all to enter into worship with us this morning. should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
has come to proclaim it. Hear how the song of joy arises, love, love. Born unto you, a Savior, love, love. Glory to God on high. Love is born, come share in the wonder. Love is God now asleep in the hay. See the glow in the eyes of his mother. What is the name? Her heart is saying love, love. Love is the name she whispers love, love. Jesus, seeking love, love, love is the gift of Christmas, love, love, praise to you God on high. Love has come, it never will leave us, love is life everlasting and free, love is Jesus within and among. seeking love, love, love is the gift of Christmas, love, love, praise to you God on
This morning, Father, we adore you. We thank you for the gift that you have given us through your son. Lord, we thank you for this season now. And uh, Father, we just want to give our lives as a sacrifice to you. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, may you be magnified this morning as we worship you in song and as the word is preached, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Ezekiel... That was a good reminder, and I want to read that, Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It says, the word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now, it's just a, re a reminder to me and to all of us that Noah was the one in Genesis that was found righteous. Noah was the one that was found just. But if you look at this verse in Ezekiel, and he pulls out three people, Noah and Job and Daniel, Three people who were righteous, who sought to follow after what God said. They sought to stand up for what was right. They sought to do what God had asked them to do. And it still isn't enough to save everybody. 
Because every one of us has a choice to make. Every one of us has a choice of whether we're going to follow what God says, whether we're going to walk in the way that God leads us. And in Noah's day, Noah was a just and righteous man. That was good for him. That didn't mean that everybody that associated with him was covered by the way he was living. It's an individual relationship that you and I have to have with our Savior. Just because I try to follow the Lord or just because your parents try to follow the Lord does not mean that you automatically get into that relationship with him. You have to make that decision for you. And that was one thing that really stuck out to me when I was looking at this and and talking about Noah being a just and a righteous man and he was walking with God. But we each individually need to choose. We need to make that decision to walk with God. Even if these three people who were very stable and they did what God asked them to do, they would only be able to save themselves only because of what God has done. They would not be doing the saving, but because they chose to follow God, they would be found righteous. Where are we at with that? Are we riding on somebody's shirt tails or are we establishing our own personal relationship with our Lord and Savior? It's important that we establish that. Another thing that we see with Noah is that he's willing to stand up for what's right. When chaos and evil is happening all around him, he's willing to stand up for what's right. Are we willing to stand for what's right? But to go along with that, let's make sure that we are standing for what is right and not just what we think is best. What does it look like to stand for the truth? Let's make sure it's truth that we're standing for. Not your opinion, not what you think, but let's make sure that it's truth based on the word of God that we're standing for. This is where Noah's at. The earth was corrupt. It's filled with violence. And we think that all the things that are happening today are new. They're not new. You read what is going on in the world right here in Noah's time, it's pretty bad. I would say it's pretty bad. And I would say it's also pretty bad today. But there's nothing new. We read in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. These things have happened again. It's a pattern that continues to happen. And God created the world. He gave us a choice, placed us here on the earth, allowed us to make that choice. We, they, at this point, chose wrong, but yet we still do the same thing today. And God is looking at this and realizing, I don't like the direction this is going. And deciding to wipe out everything that has the breath of life living on the earth. Today we live in a world filled with evil. And I guess the question is, are we influencing others or are we being influenced? Because it's probably going to be one or the other. We can, we can live our lives and try to just, you know, get by and just, just be and just stay alive. But God put us here for a reason. God put us here for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to share his love with people. That purpose is to share what Jesus has done for us, for me. That's why we're here. We're here to share that with other people. I want to read Psalm 53, 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. If God looks down on the earth today, what does he see? What is he going to see? Is he going to find people like he found Noah? That he can say, that person is a just and a righteous man. Is he going to find people? You look at the story of Lot when he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is asking these angels that came... There's only 50 people, or if there's only 40, or only 30, no, the city can't be saved, not even if there's 10 found there, which there wasn't. We can't even save this city for that many. Because again, it comes down to a personal choice that each one of us individually have to make. Not based on what somebody else does, it's based on what you do. Let me get back to Genesis. First Peter 4, 7, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We've been talking a little bit this morning about the second coming of Christ. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas when Christ came to our world. But we're also looking forward to the second coming of of when Christ is going to come. We need to be serious and watchful in our prayers. Is it just something that we do because we know it's the right thing to do, or is it something that we do because we are excited about what God is doing and we are excited that he is going to come again and he's going to take us to be with him? What's our reason for doing the things that we do? As we move on in Genesis chapter 6, Noah is giving, given fairly specific instructions on how to build this ark, this big boat. <clears throat> the length shall be 300 cubits, its width, width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Specific on the size. And what's really interesting about this is that even today in modern shipbuilding, they use the same ratios because it works. And when God gives directions on how to make something or how to do something, it works. And clear back here in the ark, God gave those ratios of how to make something, and it worked. And it still works today. I thought that was really interesting how that was put up. But Noah was given very specific instructions on how to build this boat, this ark. It's also interesting to me that God first told Noah how to build this ark after he described to him how he was going to build it and what he was going to build, then he told him what was going to happen. 
wasn't the other way around. And you know, I can't help but thinking that as we live our lives and God is asking us to step out of our comfort zone or out in faith in different areas, but he doesn't really tell us why. Because if, if God would have came and told you that I want you, I'm going to send a flood, which let's just preface this by saying that they didn't even know what rain was in Genesis. And so to them, a flood was so, for, they, could, they didn't even know how to define that. They didn't know what that meant. And so if God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to send a flood and I want you to build a boat, how ridiculous would that sound? I mean, honestly, it sounds quite ridiculous if you think about it from their perspective. But God gave him the instructions. He told him how to build it. He told him what to do. And then he told him why he was going to do it. But it didn't matter to Noah. Even if God wouldn't have sent a flood, I think Noah would have still followed what he asked. Because Noah chose to walk with God. He chose to listen to the voice of God. And are we willing to listen to what the Spirit might be telling us, to be what God might be telling us, even if we can't really see what the end result might be? Because Noah's ready to start building this ark, not knowing what it's for until God tells him what it's for. But how much faith do you think that took for Noah to step out, even when he knew what it was for? How much faith do you think it took for him to step out and build an ark that was going to take a hundred and some years to build? I mean, this is a huge commitment that he's making right here. Zach, you guys just took two years building your house. But you know what you're going to do with your house. It makes sense. Not making sense to a lot of people in Genesis what's going to be the purpose of the ark. Why, are, why is he? But can you imagine what people might have done and how they might have made fun of Noah? Because he's building the ark, he's building this huge ark, this huge boat, that there's no water close to it. They don't know what a flood is, they don't know what rain is, but Noah still is willing to step out in faith and say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Now, I don't know of very many people that God is asking today to build an ark. But there are things that he is asking us to do. And when you compare it to what Noah is asked to do, it might not seem like a very big thing. But you know what? We still have to step out in faith and be willing to trust that God knows what he's doing and be willing to trust that God is going to take care of whatever issues might come up. People are going to make fun of you. I'm sure people made fun of Noah. I, can only imagine. I probably would have been one of them. Because there's no water. How this thing, you expect this thing to float? It's not going to, there's no water here. And we've never seen this much water. And people can argue how much water it would have taken to flood the whole earth. Well, there was never that much water on the earth. Well, let me just tell you that we're dealing with God. And if God wanted to create more water to flood the earth, he would just create more water. And so let's not get hung up on the fact that <clears throat> maybe there wasn't enough water on the earth. It doesn't matter. We're talking about God. And God can do anything. God can do the impossible. Everything that had been given the breath of life would die. This is what God told Noah. 
And God is also confiding with one person, which is interesting. He does that a couple of other, few other times in Scripture, but he's telling one person what he's going to do. And he's going to save exactly eight people. Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their wives. That's it. Those are the only people that are going to be saved. Why? Because Noah chose to walk with God. God was going to establish his covenant with Noah and his family. He was going to wipe the slate clean and start again. He was going to destroy everything on the earth and everybody and everything that had the breath of life. And he was going to start again with Noah and his family. They were also told to bring two of every kind of animal on the ark. And I also find it really interesting in light of everything that we've been talking about is that it says, let me find it. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And it says, they shall be male and female. Why would he have to put that in there? And that only makes sense, I would think. Except for the fact that you got to remember the rest of the earth was evil and was wicked. <clears throat> and the same things, <clears throat> excuse me, the same things that we're dealing with today, they were dealing with then. So when God says, bring two of every kind, but make sure that you bring a male and a female. That just sounds dumb. But God clarified that. Because obviously they were still confused then, just like we can be today. Can you imagine? People, Noah's been building the ark. People have probably been making fun of him. Maybe he's been preaching a little bit. I don't know what he's been doing, but he's been focused on his task. And he's not going to be swayed by anything. God has called him to do this. He's stepping into it. He is being willing to do it, to do what God has asked him. And then God says, two of every animal. But it says, two of every kind will come to you. Now just, I, I always enjoy picturing what this might have looked like. Because there's people making fun of him, more than likely building this big boat, laughing at him, making all this fun, and he gets close to being done, and all of a sudden, God says he's going to bring the animals to him. You don't have to go round them up. I'm going to bring them to you. You just make sure that you have a place for them. You build the ark the way I told you. You gather the food that's needed to take care of them to keep them alive. I'm going to bring them to you to you keep them alive. Can you imagine what the people that were making fun of Noah might have thought when all these animals started showing up? I just almost start laughing at that because it would be so against nature at this time for all of these animals to come to one place. But again, let's not underestimate who God is. Because if God tells the animals to come, the animals are going to come. He didn't give them a choice like he gave us a choice, but still Noah chose that he's going to do what God asked him to do. And then he brought the animals. I want to he read um, Hebrews 11 and verse 7.
By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah, who had been divinely warned of things not yet seen. God told him what he was going to do. Noah had no concept of what these might be. But how do you think that Noah and his sons and his sons' wives were living during this time? Do you think that they were concerned about other people? God is getting ready to wipe out the earth completely and everything in it. And he did. We're going to get into that in the next week or so, a few weeks. God did. He wiped it out, all of it. Noah remained faithful to him and did what he was asked to do, even when it maybe didn't make sense. We can look back on this and say, oh, yeah, God told Noah, and then God followed through with it and wiped out the earth. But we were talking about the second coming of Christ. God is going to come again. And God is going to come again, and he's going to judge the earth. Because if we think that the earth is any less evil or less wicked today than it was then, you're mistaken. There's nothing new. We just do the same things over and over again, and we hope for different results, and we're not going to get them. We need to be aware. We need to prepare. We need to live like Christ is coming again, like God is going to come and judge the earth. When God looks down at the earth, what is he going to see? When God looks down at your life, what is he going to see? Is he going to see somebody who has been faithful to him? Is he going to see somebody that who, who has had the desire to follow what he said? Is he going to see someone who's willing to step out in faith when he asks us to do something? And not even something near as big as what we're talking about in Genesis. But when he asks you to step out and say hi to somebody, or he asks you to make a phone call, or he asks you to go to a certain place and take something to somebody, what is God going to see when he looks down? Where are we at? Are we really, truly living for him? Are we trying to live for him, or do we get caught up in what this world has? Isaac said this morning, with Christmas coming, we get so caught up in the materialistic things of Christmas that we sometimes forget why it is that we celebrate. Are we so involved in living our lives today that we forget that God is going to come again and judge the earth? Do we care enough about people to share his love with them? What's our purpose for being here? Noah lived for 500 years before he had his three sons. And then after that is when God came and asked him to build this ark. For 500 years, these guys lived a long time. For 500 years, Noah was faithful in walking with God. We get 80 years to 100 years, tops. Are we going to be faithful in walking with God throughout our lifetime? Don't waste your life. Don't miss what God has for you. Don't miss the opportunities that God brings into your path. Can we take from Noah to be faithful, to step out in faith even when we don't understand what might be happening? 
or what's going to happen. Or we don't even know the reason of why we're stepping out in faith. Can we trust God in that? Are we willing to do that? Can you imagine Noah maybe looked foolish, according to the world's eyes, for building a boat with no water? But he trusted that God was in control and that God was going to take what he did in faith and use it. I'm going to have the worship team come back up and we're going to sing the song, I Love You, Lord, again before we close. But is that really, is that really what we mean when we sing that? I want you to think about the words that we sing when we sing this song. Let's remember from the life of Noah to step out in faith when God asks us to step out in faith. Sit or stand as you wish. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my Thank you for your love for us. I just pray that you would give us your wisdom and grace as we go about our week. I pray that you would help us to see opportunities that come to step out in faith to do what you've asked us to do. Thank you, Father, for your love. Guide us as we go from here. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be dismissed.